Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ based in Montana. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com now be going to brother mark emerson from creation ministries fantastic thank you so very much for your lovely welcome and opportunity to share with pastors before the, the service um really really do appreciate it it's a bit like clockwork that creation ministries comes along to speak with you every two years so i've synchronized my watch again we're all on track it's great <laughs> i just get my screen going here and hopefully in a few seconds time you should see uh, my first slide there. Thumbs up, it's all good? We've got a thumbs up, fantastic. Okay, let me just get that going and start this. Um, what I wanna talk about today is about a clash that's going on in our world. This shouldn't be a surprise for any of us, but a lot of us don't think about this and the nature of this clash that goes on. I know before I became a Christian, um, I was completely oblivious to really what goes on in the world, just a part of the whole process and just traveled along with it quite ignorantly until something happened in my life when I was brought short and I needed to think about where I came from, why I'm here and where I'm going to go when I die. And these are important questions. So travel with me on this little journey through exploration of this clash of two worldviews, of which there are really only two. The worldview that says we're all here by accident, there is no God, no God's required, or there is a God and we can know who that God is. And he's talked to us and shared him, shared about himself with us. So who knows that there's a bit of a clash going on. There's a clash of views that are ha is happening around the world. You know, we've got coronavirus and uh, conspiracies and all sorts of ideas and things that are happening. And, I'm not going to talk about that and what it means, but goodness, has it taken a bit of attention of the whole world recently? And before that, it was climate change. Now it's coming back into vogue again and all that that means and the desperation that the world has that we're not going to have a home to survive in for much sooner, much longer. And the whole gender fluidity, same-sex marriage, uh, the whole questioning of sexuality. Black Lives Matter and cancel culture and critical race theory. And I don't know that there's been a time in our world where so many big issues have been happening all at once. It's all sort of coming together. You know, everyone has an opinion about these things. Everyone has a belief. No matter how young you are or how old, we all believe something about the world, how it works and why we're in the state that we're in. Every one of us at some point in time, and certainly for me, before I became a Christian, I had questions in my life. And there are ultimate questions that everybody asks, like, where do we come from? If there is no God, if there really is no reason why we're here, no cause, then that, that creates a certain approach to life, doesn't it? You've got a foundation of uncertainty. We're just a result of a big bang. But if there actually is a God who created everything, then that sets in train a different series of questions as well. Like, why am I here? If there is no God, why am I here? If we're just an accident, if we're just the result of blind random chance processes, what's the point? Am I supposed to just be born and breed and get buried? That's it, pass on my genes? If there really is a God, then there's perhaps something more important, something higher of value to live for about why we're here. And we all want to know at some stage, even little kids ask the question, where do we go when we die? Christians, we need to provide our children with answers to these questions. If we're just mindless pond scum, well, we're just going to, when I die, we're just going to become stardust again. We just get circulated around and there's really no, don't get sad when we die. It's the way that it is. Or is there some other place we're going to? So these ultimate questions are questions we all ask throughout our lives. And we may revisit it again and again, even as Christians. That's okay. 
to re-establish and reaffirm the place of Christ in our lives. Do you know what's more important than these three questions? It's where do you go to for the answers? What do you trust as the source document, the authority for the answers to these questions? I know that many young people who don't know God don't consider this. They don't realize that they actually do trust a source, information source for these questions. We need to question that source. And it's quite okay to question the Bible too. We're called to be Bereans, to go and see that this is true. This is all about a worldview. Whether we believe in God, we have a worldview. Or whether we don't believe in God, we have a worldview. We believe certain things to be true about the world. We may be wrong in that belief, but we believe certain things. These are called statements of faith, beliefs about the world. How do we know what's right and wrong, good and bad, should or what could, etc. Some things we hold to to be absolutely unquestionably true. That's certainly the case for Christianity. Even on the godless worldview, there are beliefs there that are held to be absolutely unquestionably true, especially for atheism. There absolutely is no God. Well, let's explore a little bit about this, these worldviews. I was traveling down the Pian Highway about three years ago now. I'll have to update this soon because soon it'll be four and ten years and decide if I keep giving this talk. But I was traveling down the Pian Highway and I stopped at a set of lights somewhere outside of St Kilda going south and I came to this intersection and across the road on the corner diagonally was this car wash. Can you see that? A car wash. It's called an evolution car wash. It is a true business. I haven't made this up. I've just highlighted it. Evolution car wash. Mm -hmm. Now at the time I was driving a 2004 Toyota Camry sedan. A lot of scratches on it, pretty old, it's done a good job, we don't have that anymore. But I was thinking at the time, what if I was to take the car through the car wash? Would it come out the other side looking a bit like, a, I don't know, a Tesla or um, some other vehicle, a BMW or anything else at all? We know axiomatically, an axiom, something that is unquestionably true that it's not going to happen. Cars do not change randomly. If anything, the car might come out cleaner and it may even come out with a few more scratches on it from the brushes and the cleaning process. But if it was missing a side mirror, it's not going to come out the other end with a side mirror, is it? We absolutely know that is true. Matter does not change on its own to increase the function or design of something like a car. It's not going to become something else. It'll never happen. No matter how many times we go through the car wash, it'll just rust and break down and turn back into elements. So we know from a belief, our, our real scientific belief about the world, cars don't change this way. There are a lot of people in the world who are believing, hundreds of thousands at least, who believe the earth is flat. They believe it axiomatically. Some unfortunately well-meaning Christians even use scripture out of context to support their belief the earth is flat. There are millions of people in the world who believe that the earth is balanced on the back of uh, world elephants. They're called Hindu elephants. And those elephants are standing on the back of a turtle. Well, that turtle is on the back of a slightly larger turtle. And it's turtles all the way down. I don't know what the last one stands on. It just never ends. And there are millions of people in the world who believe that the earth is balanced on the back of a bull, the Islamic Bahamut bull. And that bull is balanced on the back of a whale. It's like a fish in here, but it's a whale, the Islamic noon. That whale is held up by the wings of an angel. When the bull breathes, the tides change. And when the earth shakes, it's because the whale has moved. Well, we've been out into space. It's unquestionably true. And from the lunar um, orbiter, we can look back and to the, to the Earth, some 400,000 kilometers. And we can see the Earth is not flat. It's definitely not standing on any elephants or turtles. 
There are no turtles, there's no elephants, and there's no bull. But one belief system said something really, really curious. Job, standing on the surface of the earth, received this message from God, this divine revelation. He said that he, that is God, hangs the earth on nothing. Now, how could Job have known that? Furthermore, in Isaiah 45, verse 18, we read that, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, that is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it, he did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. So not only is Job correct that the earth, this globe or sphere, is suspended in space, it is there precisely because God purposed it to be there with the arrangement in all its fashion to support life in its precise location from the moon and the sun, uh, for the purpose of the stars giving us signs and seasons, for oxygen concentration, the carbon dioxide, the flora, the fauna, everything is perfectly there for life, for it to be inhabited, for relationship with God. Wow, what a difference that worldview makes to the others or to the belief there is no God. Worldviews are really important because what you believe about the world influences how you live in the world. Would you agree with that? Unfortunately, today, our school children and most people in the world um, are forced to believe in one particular worldview only. There's only one way to actually make sense of the world and that's through this thing called evolution it's in magazines radio programs tv shows movies jurassic parks doing its series again on sbs if don't go and watch it <laughs> watch it it's a good story i suppose in computer games for children and books coloring books is a video game on and on and on even something that's really highly educational talking about the random mutations, continents, and the origin of species, and on, so on, and so on. You won't find this in the regular bookshop. Be very fortunate to find anything like, uh, sorry, um, you'll find this in the regular bookshop. You won't find anything about creation or God's word and how it's been created in any regular bookshop, will you? you are, we are drowned, marinated, basted, and roasted in this belief, this philosophy called evolution. And this worldview is all dominating everywhere, such that when you, when a person who believes in evolution um, looks at a fossil knee joint, this is a human knee joint, it's fossilized, believing in evolution will draw the conclusion, trusting man's word, because nobody was present at the beginning, that there has been billions of years of universal history and earth history and that the, this bone of a human is clearly the end result of a long series of death, disease and suffering, and it's normal. It's just normal. The humans are really accidents. We're not here by purpose or by plan or any design of evolution. There is no design or plan or purpose. So the scientists looking at this bone would draw very different conclusions to somebody else who has a different worldview. And if there's a timeline, which there is for this worldview, this secular worldview, godless worldview, then about 14 billion years ago, 13.852, I think it is, nothing exploded. Nothing happened for a very long time, around about 10,000 million years. Then Earth, because a hot blob was formed. And then about 1,500 million years later, life began. And it's as if life just had to begin on this Earth in this story. And it gave rise to humans ultimately in this long sequence of events. And the point of this timeline is that humans, plural, emerged from some ape-like ancestor. And whilst there's an arrow here suggesting that it's going somewhere on purpose, it's going to arrive somewhere, it actually isn't. It just continues. This is a continuum. Or it actually might come to a big crunch any moment now. There is no confidence or certainty or assurance in this timeline of any kind at any point in time. It is just a part of the chemical processes that go on.
So asking these three questions about where we came from, well, we came from this accidental process. There's no cause for it. There's no reason for it. It just happened. We're here to breed and to survive, to populate, to preserve the species. And if we go extinct because of whatever conditions have happened in the earth, like the worries about climate change and we might go extinct, why are we worried? Why be concerned? That's just part of the process. There is no moral justification for concern. And where are we going? Who knows? It just continues. There is no hope in it at all. It's utterly godless, pointless, purposeless. That is a worldview. And we can apply science to that to some extent to see if it's a verifiable, plausible worldview. Does it work in the actual real world? We can change the way we view the evidence that's in the world. Exactly the same evidence, the same fossil bone. We can draw very different conclusions by looking at the evidence through the eyes of an authority. And for biblical Christians, we take God's word to be authoritative. God was there in the beginning. God told Adam and Eve what happened in the beginning. Genesis 1, 2 and 3 are, is Adam's testimony recorded by Moses, by, by Moses to tell us this history of the earth, the true history of the world. If we take this story, this real history, and look at that piece of evidence, trusting God's word to interpret the evidence, we would see that this human can be no more than 6,000 years old cannot be more than 6,000 years old. That it's created in the image of God. It's not an accident. It has this incredible design. The knee joint is actually one of the most, if not the most amazing joint in the human body. That Adam and Eve were real people. They really disobeyed God's good command. And about 1,650 years after creation, God brought a judge, a, a judgment, a global judgment upon the entire earth which buried everything not on the ark. This bone perhaps was buried as a part of the flood or after Noah's flood. And we can see design and plan and purpose in this joint and in all of creation. So when we ask of the timeline for this story, we see that about 6,000 years ago or something like 4,000 years before Christ, God created everything. Jesus created everything. And man disobeyed and brought a judgment upon the earth. Um, God judged the people after the flood to go and fill the earth. He confused their languages and they were forced to go out through all the earth and promised that in the fullness of time, the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer would come to pay the penalty for our disobedience and die on that cross to shed his blood, which we celebrated and remembered this morning. So where is this timeline going? When we ask these three questions, we see that the Bible tells us that at the beginning, God created the first human, not humans. He created the first human from whom all humans have come. Eve was created from Adam and all humans have come from that union of those two. So when we ask the question of where we came from, we are here by purpose for relationship with God. This is all about relationships all the way through the story. Why are we here? It's about relationship to get back to Christ, to get back to God, to have a relationship with our creator. Where are we going? Well, this timeline is pointing somewhere and it's pointing to the beginning, back to this garden, this perfect idyllic place where there is no death, disease and suffering. God is going to make all things new and remove sin. So the Bible tells us in Genesis that in the beginning, God created everything in six sequential, ordinary, 24-hour days. It goes on so much in the Bible to explain those six ordinary sequential days. You have to twist the scriptures to make it say anything else. And on the sixth day, God created man. Jesus said, Jesus said, Mark chapter 10, verse 6, Jesus said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, not billions and millions of years ago. Jesus was a young earth creationist. He understood 
that Moses' account was correct and accurate because Jesus was there in the beginning. Read, chapter, read John chapter 1. And so we see that at the end of the sixth day, Genesis 1.31 tells us, God saw all that he had created and it was very good. That's Hebrew, by the way, for tov mi, that says tov miod. That's for just as I purposed it to be. Because at the end of every other day, God said, good, it's good, yep. But on the last day of his creative acts, he said tov miod. The problem we have is that if you if people believe in evolution, um, want to believe God, but believe that evolution is part of what God did, well, we've got a real problem because underneath this Garden of Eden, there are millions of dead things laid down by water, buried in rock layers all over the earth, and they show death, disease, and suffering. And this is just as God purposed it to be. It's incongruous. It's not consistent with what the Bible's message to us is about creation. This death, disease and suffering and judgment came after Adam and Eve disobeyed. It's not the result of millions of years at all. We see in the fossil record tumour and cancer. Here's a turtle bone, stem turtle, and it has cancer. But it's claimed to be 240 million years old. That's not possible in the biblical story. And here's a brain case of a Gorgosaurus, and it has a tumour. They cannot both be right, these stories, these, these worldviews. You know that for evolution, death is creative. It's actually an oxymoron. You can't have creative activities in, in evolution, but it is seen as a creative force. Hans Moa, in 1983, he said that there's no way past the doctrine of evolution, the doctrine of evolution, like it is a religion. Without the death of individuals, there could have been no evolution of life on this earth. We accept our own death as a positive creative factor. Wow. Death is essential, according to evolution. Who knows this guy, Carl Sagan? He could not find the answer to life on this earth, so he started the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, the whole SETI program. He said that the secrets of evolution are time and death. There's an unbroken thread that stretches from those first cells to us. We'll look at what that actually really means, this primordial soup, the very first cell. He understood death is required all the way through this evolutionary story. But the Bible says that death is destructive. It's not creative at all. Genesis 2.17, for in the day that or when you eat from it, you will surely die, said God. Now, surely die in Hebrew is mot tamot. That means dying, you shall die. So Satan said, look at that, you didn't die instantly when Eve took the fruit. But they did. They died spiritually and they started to die physically. Death is destructive. It destroyed the relationship of man and woman to God, relationship of humans to the earth. Even the whole cosmos is groaning because of that disobedience of Adam and Eve. For the Bible, death is a punishment. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who's that? That's Adam. Paul is very clear. Adam introduced sin into the world and death came as a result of that disobedience or that rebellion. And so death spread to all people, all men, because all have sinned. This is a fundamental understanding of the biblical worldview of why the world is like it is. It's because of sin. Death is an enemy. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the last enemy to be destroyed is death. God didn't create by using evolution and the process of death to bring about his good works. It's actually an enemy. It's not what God intended at all. So when we read in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that for as in Adam all die, very clear, the first Adam brought about death, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And who is Christ? He is the last Adam. 
So if the first atom from the evolutionary storyline is just a metaphor, because actually there were just humans that came out of this long line after some ancestor, if there really weren't real humans created originally and at the beginning, if Adam wasn't real and he's just a metaphor, then why did Jesus have to physically die for this story, this allegory, a metaphor? See, when we put these two timelines together, we can see there are irreconcilable and incompatible components or attributes or beliefs in these worldviews about how long ago the world was created, about the process of that creation, who created and how, about when humans and or humans appeared, about the flood, whether it was an instant global thing or long, slow, gradual process and where it is all going. Now, I speak about this so much detail because unfortunately, there are many in our churches today, many Christians who are really confused about this. They're talk, they're told about evolution so much at school, at high school, at university, and all of us are based in it everywhere. That when we come to the Bible, we'll say, yep, that's fine. But when we go to church, we'll leave um, the science of evolution outside, but I actually still believe it. When I go back out into the real world, yep, I'm living in the scientific world again. I trust it. We can't do that. Science is actually a really good pursuit. Science is great. It actually came out of a world, biblical worldview. Science is about observation and prediction and falsification and repetition. And it gives rise to satellites, to space people, to cars, to Zoom, to our houses, all sorts of stuff. And science happens only in the present. We can't do science tomorrow. <laughs> do you know that? You can't actually do science tomorrow because tomorrow will be today. You can only ever do science in the present can't do it yesterday either. And so this is quite interesting when it comes to um, doing experimental science or operational science on things that we know lived in the past. So this fossil, when we dig it up, am I digging up the present or am I digging up the past? I hope that most of you on this session have heard of this before. You know what the answer is. But, you know, a lot of people are really confused. They think we're digging up the past. No, it's the present. We find the fossil in the present. We remove it and see it in the present. But we recognize it once lived in the past, but we have it here in the present, which means when we come to try and understand uh, where it lived, how long it lived for, what it ate, what it did, why it died, all those questions about the past, where it came from, we have to do that in the present. We've only got the present to work with. And if we weren't there in the past to see when it died, or to see the circumstances of its living, we have to make assumptions about that. And the, the philosophy scientist, the anthropologist, the paleo anthropologist or um, dinosaur hunter, when they bring their science to bear on this fossil, they will bring their philosophy as well. And so we hear about it being millions of years old. It fits with their storyline. Do you know that science can actually only work if the world is designed and ordered, if the world is purposeful? If there is no purpose, we can't even make sense. We can't conduct experiments at all. And if it's not designed, we can't pull it apart and see how it works and find out why it works and modify things. If it's just random chance accidental processes, if it's not ordered, we can't predict that the sun will rise tomorrow. It could rise at any time and set at any time if it rises at all. But the fact that it is so ordered, we call it the solar system because it's finely ordered. It's designed. As a result, we can learn so much about that. It's stable. It's not chaotic. The godless worldview claims that we came from a chaotic state and that the chemical processes continue to be chaotic. We're just chemicals. You can't do science in that kind of worldview. It's not intelligible. We can't make sense of the world. It's only in a biblical worldview where we have a God of purpose and intent that we can even conduct science and make a prediction and then see whether it's true and if it works that way. And it does. We can do an experiment today. 
on paper, or at least on digital Zoom, to see whether or not one aspect of these two worldviews is actually scientifically verifiable. And if it's not, we can discard the, that worldview. And I think there's no better place to start than the origin of life. Because otherwise, if we can't make sense of how we got here, we probably can't make a lot of sense about the rest of it. So we recall that one worldview says there was a big bang, no cause, no God required, and life began um, in a primordial soup, just by accident, with chemicals coming together. The other one tells us life began by God's divine feet, brought it together by speaking life into existence. The Bible says that life only comes from life. God is life, and he created man, and he breathed into the dust of the ground Nefesh Chaya, and Adam became a living being. The, the um, evolutionary story, the godless worldview, says that life arises spontaneously from non-living chemicals, no God required. And furthermore, the Bible tells us that life was irreducibly complex from the very beginning. When God created Adam from the dust of the ground, he created a man, a living being, with all the necessary components and parts in the right order, all finished so that Adam could talk and walk with God and understand and name animals. The evolutionary timeline says that these non-living chemicals slowly developed more complexity over millions of years. And here we are, just a lovely, lovely collection of random chemicals. Well, let's have a look at what the world has to say about life. This is the science text that students get to read in Victoria, Year 10 Science Quest. It's called Science Quest for Victoria Year 10. It's about to change this text soon, but not the philosophy that's in it. Because on this page in Evolution 101, it says that every living thing on Earth is thought to have descended from one primitive cell that floated around in the primordial soup over three billion years ago. Have you heard of the last universal common ancestor, or Luca? Only our young people will have heard of that. The oldies, like me, will be familiar with the, pro the primordial soup and the primitive cell. Now, is this a scientific statement? In part, it sort of is, because it's a hypothesis. But is this a scientific proof of how life began? Certainly not. And indeed, if they knew in this text how life began, would they have said thought? This is how it is thought. We, it's thought that life began this way. If there was any scientific proof in this text that the students are going to get exposed to about life beginning without a God and in this process here, I would be sure to show it to you. Let me tell you, in this text, there is no scientific evidence for the origin of life. It does not exist. And yet this philosophical statement is in our school text and it's considered to be scientific. If we were to say, well, it's also thought that life was created by God, fully ir irreducibly complex, fully functioning from the beginning. And the evidence for it is that it started only about 6,000 years ago. We would be kicked out because that is religious. This also, by the way, is a religious statement. It's a religious philosophical position but it's considered to be scientific. Well, not so long ago, a couple of years ago, a documentary was released by National Geographic, and it's called um, The One Strange Rock. Episode four, Genesis, it's called, uh, was released, and it has a number of scientists in it um, who were wandering around various uh, locations on the earth and hosted by Will Smith. Yes, that Will Smith, the movie actor. And at the end of their pontification about the origin of life, the scientists giving all their ideas about how life began, Will Smith summarised it all. And he said that, well, we may never know exactly how life got started, uh, but we do know it was a strange brew, a dash of magical liquid, a sprinkle of stardust and a crackle of energy mixed together in a big bubbling cauldron to make our rock come alive. Now, he sort of said that with a bit of tongue in cheek at the time, but it's a very serious statement because it's all that they've got to go on for the origin of life. If there was any solid scientific evidence for this, they should have shown it in their documentary. What are they referring to with this statement? 
Well, they're referring to an experiment that was done in 1953 by Stanley Miller and Harold Urey. Who remembers that? The oldie should. <laughs> what happened was Stanley Miller and Harold Urey decided to try and replicate the early conditions of life on Earth. So they created this closed loop of a glass flask and yeah, structure and they put into it methane, ammonia, hydrogen and water because they believed these were the chemicals present on the Earth millions and millions of years ago. They put electrodes in it and zapped it, turned on a power supply to put lightning in there to replicate the random injection of energy that was going around the Earth at the time impacting on these chemicals. They have a condenser here to release the product of this chemical reaction. And down the bottom, it was captured in a trap. And here's the injection of random heat from volcanism and the heat of the earth, keeping the whole closed loop going. Can you see it's closed loop? And in the bottom, in this trap, they, they caught very thick, gooey, tarry mixture. And they took that out and they analyzed it. And they found some amino acids in it. Now, amino acids has a genetic code to it that when joined together with lots of other amino acids, the right ones will produce a protein. And proteins are what you and I are all made of. Proteins are required for life. So they declared they had a six or so proteins. Uh, they had lots of two, one or two of them, and they had very, very few of the rest. But they declared we've just proven that life can be produced in a test tube and we've got the right conditions here that proves that Luca is true. We began life in a primordial soup. Somebody did an experiment uh, not so long ago, back in 1970s, to see whether this was true, whether it was right that life could begin this way. And they discovered they made a lot of bad assumptions about the chemical conditions. The Earth is not a closed loop. It's exposed to cosmic rays and all sorts of other things that life requires way more than six amino acids. It requires 20 and it requires them to be structured in the right way. Life is left-handed only. There's a particular chemical structure. Life is made up of left-hand amino acids and only left-handed. They all come together to the right way to make proteins. They were never going to get a protein because these amino acids are sitting out there exposed to the environment for how long? millions of years, thousands of years, even days, these chemicals will break apart. They will never come together because they must be protected inside a cell. Well, they haven't even got a cell yet. Here's a cell, a relatively simple cell made up of thousands of machines, thousands of components, all carefully designed to do something special to keep the cell alive or to do what that cell is meant to do somewhere in the organism, in the body the nucleus. These are extraordinary things. And I want to talk about one, one only simple machine that resides on the surface of the mitochondria in their gazillions. Do you know what it might be? Any biology students here or teachers? It's called adenosine triphosphate synthase, ATP. And it's a positively charged electric motor you can see the rotor is turning around as it brings in a positron, posit all right, po protons are brought in, and that allows it to spin around just like a regular electric motor that we've designed. And each time it turns around, it brings in a phosphate and an adenosine diphosphate, and it chemically combines those two together to produce ATP, adenosine triphosphate, with three phosphates now. And this spins around at 10,000 revolutions per minute. Guys, you know the angle grinder? It does about 7 to 10, 12,000 revolutions per minute. Each time it goes around, that's three ATP, three for every revolution. There are 10 quadrillion adenosine triphosphate synthase machines in your body. 10 quadrillion. You could line up 100,000 of them in a millimeter, less than a millimeter. Your body, all your living cells in your body produces your body weight in ATP every day. Your body weight, you consume it all the time and regenerate it, regenerate it. 
And then when it's consumed, ATP breaks back down into ADP and phosphate. Why is this so important? Do you know, this is fundamentally important for the origin of life because the cell says you've got to have a cell. You've got to start with a living cell with a nucleus, with a cell instruction computer that says I need another ATP synthase machine. So it instructs the RNA preliminaries to go off and open up the DNA, read the instructions on the the DNA strand for all the amino acids necessary to create all the proteins that are necessary for the ATP to be formed. And those amino acids are all assembled and the proteins are then assembled. And then another protein machine will take the protein bag called ATP and put it onto the mitochondria. And it's only then that it starts to work and it starts to spin around. The problem gets worse because every step along this way, and it's far, far more complex than I'm explaining it to you in here, requires ATP, those adenosine triphosphates. Because adenosine triphosphate is the energy required by all of these proteins everywhere to actually do something to then produce this. So can you see the problem? You have to have ATP before you even get an ATP machine. Life will never happen in a primordial soup by random chance processes. This guy, uh, JBS Haldane, he recognized the problem. He's an evolutionist. And even back in 1949, he said, evolution could never produce various mechanisms such as the wheel and the magnet, you've just seen that, which would be useless till fairly perfect. Now he said that in 1949, 1953, they did that experiment. This gentleman, 1981, Sir Fred Hoyle, you ever heard of that name? Sir Fred Hoyle in Nature. He said that the chance that higher life forms might have emerged in this way, what way? The way we've just talked about, the chance assemblage of chemicals is comparable with the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747. It's not going to happen. And this gentleman, who's Australian, Professor Paul Davies, he said in New Scientist in 1999, there's no known law of physics that's able to create information from nothing. And all of life requires information on the genetic code, on DNA, on RNA. And that'll never happen by random chance processes. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? Bible seems to be right. The Genesis 2 verse 7 says then the lord god formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils nefesh chaya he breathed the breath of life and the man became a living being fully a living being from the beginning and then he said to adam and eve be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it and that's all we've ever seen happen humans give rise to humans fruit trees give rise to fruit trees oranges to oranges apples to apples um, cows to cows, dogs to dogs. We've never seen anything come out that's anything other than what it was, or deformed, diseased, or dead. The Bible's right. Absolutely scientifically true. This timeline is correct. The Bible tells us life comes from life, and it's true. That's what we see. It's not true that life comes from the spontaneous arrangement of chemical, non-living chemicals. It just cannot happen. The Bible is correct that life appears irreducibly complex from the beginning by divine purpose and plan and design, not over long periods of time to become complex organisms arising by random chance processes. The godless worldview about life is absolutely patently wrong so this is a clash of worldviews and if you're a christian and you think that science is correct when it comes to the origin of life through godless processes you can confidently discard it it absolutely is a lie there is no scientific evidence for it at all yet there are highly qualified and um, intelligent people who do believe in it this man died uh, back in 2015 dr will provine but he believed that he said there are no gods, there's no purpose of any kind, there's no life after death, there is no ultimate foundation for ethics, that's right or wrong, good and bad, there's no ultimate meaning in life, and there's no free will for humans either. Why would you breathe? Why would you even get out of bed? Why bother? But he did good science, he loved his children, loved his wife, 
he lived in contradiction to his worldview. Some people don't. Some people believing this worldview actually live it out. Jeffrey Dahmer, back in 1994, was interviewed. Do you remember him? He was America's worst serial killer. He said that if a person doesn't think there is a God to be accountable to, then, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway. I always believed the theory of evolution as truth, that we all just came from the slime. When we, when we died, you know, that was it. There is nothing. Praise God, there aren't more people living in the world believing in the theory of evolution to this extent. But you know, it does still happen. The Bible warns us in Colossians 2 verse 8, to see to it that no one takes you captive by worldly philosophy. Evolution is a godless worldly philosophy. And it's empty. It's a deceitful, empty philosophy. It's also according to human tradition. It has been there since the beginning with the devil tempting Eve and twisting God's word. And according to elemental spirits of the world, this is a spiritual battle. And we need to overcome this spiritual philosophy of the devil in every way and bring it into submission to Christ. I hope that um, you want to be ready with answers. Is that what you would like to do? to be prepared to be able to talk with people about your faith and what you believe and why and help them to adopt a worldview that is loving and relational, then we should do that. In fact, we are commanded to. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared. That's not an optional thing, is it? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If we would ask Dr. Will Provine, what's the reason for the hope that you have? It would become very obvious very quickly. He has none. And we could then share from our heart with through gentleness and respect why Christ is the answer for the world, the world's problems. Do you want to be ready? Do you want to be prepared and have answers? I trust that you do. And today, uh, to help you to get some resources that um, you need to purchase, we want to give you a discount of 20% off things that aren't already discounted, um, resources that aren't already discounted in the magazine. So this will be pasted into the chat room. Thank you, Sean. Um, this code will be pasted there so you can save the chat room and remember it for later on. So that's ME211024. It's today's date if you can pick that up in reverse, all right? It's available till midnight tomorrow night. So more than 24 hours. Now, we have a lot of free resources, and as you know, because uh, you have us come to your church very often, we have a website called creation.com. Any questions that you have about creation or evolution, put them into the chat, into the um, search bar here, put it in uh, about worldview, for example, and you'll find a lot of articles that come up. We've got nearly 14,000 articles in our website. You go to the web store here from the homepage, and that's where you can search for other resources. Come to this website every day because we put up new articles to encourage you every day. We also offer an, um, an email service. Once a week, we'll send an email out to you to remind you of events that are coming up, like this talk, or if we're going to a physical church, it might be that your postcode is closely close to the area of that talk, and you can come along. We also tell you about uh, new articles and new things that are coming up. And if it's the first time that you subscribe, which is free, you will get a download, a link to download a video called Creatures Do Change, but it's not evolution, it's natural selection. And we have a creation magazine, which uh, really does change people's lives. Uh, mums and dads reading the magazine can give answers to their children. There's a children's section inside. Um, you'll get answers to your questions. It's a great evangelistic and witnessing tool. You can just give it to somebody and say, have a look at this article in there. Tell me what you think. Come and see you. Have lunch tomorrow. I did this all the time at CSIRO, all the time. It's great because it's an objective thing. You can talk about the article instead of getting personal and get angry about things. This person recently said that he was brought up uh, with evolution. Eventually, I asked the Lord about the difference between evolution and creation. 
he led me to a scripture which reminded me that he was in charge. A little while later, I was introduced to Creation Magazine and it turned my world view, my whole view of the subject around. It really does do this to people. So if you do not subscribe already, there's a link in the chat room now to get to the Creation Magazine. When you subscribe, we'll also get a free digital subscription and you can give that to five other people. Give it to your children, your grandchildren, your friends. You can also search on the um, articles, print out articles, send those articles, PDF them, save them. Very useful. A couple of resources that we always promote, the Creation Answers book. Apart from the Bible, the Word of God, we should have a copy or many copies of the Creation Answers book. It answers 60 of the most common questions that speakers and CMI generally gets asked all the time. There's also a free study guide there. And if you haven't church at this time, especially in lockdown now, I encourage you to get the study guide and purpose to go through each chapter once a week or every fortnight, whatever it is, and you'll get a good grounding in the types of questions that people ask and the answers that are there. It's very easy scientifically to read this stuff. You don't have to be a scientist. School students, uh, year 10 especially, up through to university, um, if you've got a got children or grandchildren that are in this bracket strongly recommend you get refuting evolution it's got some of the strongest evidences against evolution we also stream all our videos now some 800 videos we have so you can stream them for a one-off cost or um, pay a fee and have it available to you like your own virtual library so you just go to the homepage creation.com and you'll see a section on creation videos and you can subscribe this book, uh, people have a lot of questions about, well, how do they know how old the Earth is? When did that actually begin? Well, there's a book by Dr. by Michael J. Ord called The Deep Time Deception. It's also easy to read, but it answers the question about how old is the universe and the Earth, and how do we know? So I strongly recommend that. And this book here, the evol evolution and the Christian faith is largely my talk I've just given to you. So if you have questions about what do you do with secular science, about the beliefs of evolution, because the evidence is so overwhelming, and my biblical faith, can I highly recommend you get yourself this book and read through it all and understand the issues with theistic evolution, that is to say God using evolution and looking at what Jesus had to say about creation really powerful and finally this dvd which as i say you can live stream if you want to or purchase the dvd and have it delivered to you is by dr martin williams lecturer in new testament and theology at the reformed church um, college in uh, geelong and in the city and he addresses the question well is genesis actual history and is this issue a secondary issue something that we just put on the side just get oh look don't worry about creation you know what the bible has to say do you know it's actually central because it's all about jesus so we need to understand what jesus had to say about creation so my friends we can answer these ultimate questions that we have in life when we accept the worldview that jesus offers us to trust him as our Lord, our creator, our savior. When we do that, then we have a worldview and a perspective on the world that allows us to answer these questions uh, confidently. Where do we come from? We are God's workmanship. We're not accidents. We're not mistakes. We've been created in Christ Jesus. He's the creator. That's where we came from. Why am I here? Well, Paul tells us to do good works. That's not to build houses and cars and other things. That's good. You've got to be working. Jesus was a carpenter. The good works which God prepared in advance for us to do is to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. That's the good work, to introduce people to Jesus, this relationship, the original relationship, this loving relationship God wants to have with all people. Where do we go when we die? Jesus tells us in John 14, Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms and I go and prepare a place for you and I'll come back and I'll take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And that's not going to be in a new heaven and earth full of death, disease and suffering. 
it's going to be a wonderful place of beautiful relationship with our Creator, our Saviour and our Lord. You know, this is not our world, it's not our home. It's broken because of our disobedience. So don't get comfortable. We've got to get ready and prepared with answers. Now, we've got a job to do. Every single one of us, we've got a job to do. And that's to tell everyone the truly good news from the very first verse. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you, Mark. It was a blessing. I hope it wasn't too overwhelming. <laughs> Everyone's still awake? Yes. Some of you are. That's great. Good on you. Yep, now we're all here. Thanks, Mark. Unmuting. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. It was very interesting. And it is faith building in the word of God. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're going to send you, um, Pastor Colm, a survey at the end of um, probably Monday. Somebody will send you from the office, okay? And if you would pass that to all the congregational members that you can, because we love to hear feedback from people. We'd love to know whether our message is getting through and uh, how well we're achieving that. So look forward to that, everybody. I hope that you'll respond here. Yeah. yeah, that's not a problem. We can do that. So if there's any questions... I'm happy to take them if you would like to or finish the service. So whatever you'd like to do, I'm in your hands. <laughs> but do, do save the chat room, folks, because there's links there to the resources. I was just wondering recently if the world was flat before the um, flood and if the mountains and all the cliffs and everything were created through the upheaval of the waters from the deep and all that, um, what was going on then. What happened to the water? Did it fall off the edge? <laughs> it, it doesn't work. The, um, the, we have a few, if, if you're seriously interested in about the flat earth myth, then go to creation.com and just look up flat earth. We've been writing papers about it for some time. We don't want to give it more attention than it deserves, but unfortunately there are some well-meaning Christians who are getting caught up in that idea, uh, wanting to take God's word so literally that they actually abuse it. You can't take the word of God, the Bible, every verse, every word, literally, because clearly God used poetry, metaphor, allegory, parable, and literal historical narrative. All writing styles are there. So in that literal sense, we take the word of God uh, as the word of God, and then we interpret it correctly. Right? And unfortunately, people look at the, the uh, foundations of the earth, and he established it, and the pillars, and this and that, and the circle of the earth, that, and they interpret that to be flat earth. But if you go onto creation.com and, and search for flat earth, you'll find we provide some experiments that you can do. You don't need computers. It was actually worked out in the 17th century. This, this um, I can't even say the word, seriously, the global nature of the earth. I can't even pronounce that word now, uh, without computers to an accuracy of about three decimal places. Yeah. Um, so there's some experiments that can be done to help friends, if you know any friends that believe in the flat earth, to go and conduct it for themselves mm -hmm. and find the earth is not flat. Thank That's you for right. that. <laughs> Sphericity. Mm. Sphere, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I always explain it because Jesus said, when he will come back, there are different daytimes or night times. He said that there will be two on the field working, one will be taking, and two will be sleeping at nighttime, I assume, and one will be taken, the other will be uh, left behind. Now, uh, this shows me Jesus would come with there will be different times on the earth. And that only can explain that the earth is a, a globe. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Any other questions? Looks like you don't want to go. You've got nowhere else to go. Great. Let's ask some questions. Let's have a chat. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a question. Maybe you have heard, uh, I think it's about 10 years or even more ago, that some scientists wanted to reproduce the Big Bang. And uh, they did something, a closed system of, uh, of um, 
tunnel somewhere in Switzerland and they wanted to reproduce the Big Bang. I lost track. Do you know anything about that? What happened? Or will the Big Bang still come? <laughs> well, well, the Big Crunch could come and the Big Bang could occur again. Um, there is no assurance about life on this earth yeah. from that perspective. Uh, yes, they did try to experiment. And no, I'm not a qualified person in this field. You can again go to creation.com and do a search on uh, Large Hadron Collider, Hadron, or you can look for CERN, which is the first experiment where they, in France, I think it is, they, they dug under the ground this huge tunnel that went for so many kilometres in a big circle within which they put um, uh, cables, fibre optics and fired electrons at each other in op opposing directions, get up the speed of light and then they made them collide. They brought these things together in one spot and then took an image of that in the attempt to try and demonstrate the conditions at immediately after the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. And um, it was through some of that work that they believed they found that they did find um, smaller particles uh, of atoms, uh, right? They, um, quasars and the truth particle and a whole lot of other particles. They gave them fancy names. And then they wanted to try and figure out there must be another particle that exists. They call that the God particle, the penultimate particle, the one that actually holds all the universe together. And so that's when they built the Large Hadron Collider, a collider to again crash these particles into each other to try and break atoms apart into the smallest component and uh, the Higgs boson was what was um, found just recently they claimed that they found the god particle and they named it the Higgs boson <laughs> um, they haven't proven that that's still the process by which the universe has been created through this random chance process all they've done is to discover how amazingly designed the earth the universe is it's, they cannot get away with it. Same with uh, biology. The more they pull uh, cells apart and chemicals apart, that make up living things, and we look at DNA, it's, it's more complex than DNA. There's something else going on in the cell um, that instructs DNA to release its information. It is just incredibly complex. There's no way it can come together on its own. So go to creation.com and look up Big Bang, look up Hadron Collider, look up CERN, C-E-R-N, all those uh, keywords. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Pastor Gary, did you have a question? It looked like there was a question on your face. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't have a question. No, okay. No. Anybody? Look, don't, don't be afraid of quit. You can send me a question in the chat room privately if you don't want your name to be declared so the pastors don't know who asked it. I did that yesterday when I gave a talk and people ask questions to me directly. So don't worry, I won't declare your name. <laughs> and I know we've been to your church many times over the years. Um, uh, you have come across the Genesis Academy. The Genesis Academy, it's a series of 12 DVDs that goes through chapter and verse of Genesis 1 through to 11, and it puts all the science that we know today up against that. It's a fantastic exploration of um, God's good creative activities, and if you haven't done it, can I encourage the church to consider getting access to that series, the Genesis Academy. The Genesis Academy. and um, Yeah, I, I actually have that. You have that? Yeah, do I, I do have that DVD, but... Um, Maybe you might not be aware, but we have with us in the background hiding um, oh. uh, uh, Morris Nicholson. Morris uh, Nicholson. I don't know if that's a name that you would recall, but he uh, uh, teaches his teaches creation and um, has a series on Genesis one to eleven, which he um, taught over the years in which he had him join with us in our um, uh, camp. Our camp. So yeah, he's actually there at the at the minute. I can uh, I can see Margaret's on, but um, he's your yeah. resident creationist. Yeah, well, he's Excellent. older now. He's eighty. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I know. No, I'm he, not. I know he speaks of Don Batten and speaks with him. Yeah. Hmm. Excellent. Great. I'll uh, I'll remember him to Don. But um, but yeah, right. but yeah. So I have a, a book of his on Genesis one to eleven as well. It's been a great resource. But it, uh, he sought to uh, emphasise how important those foundations were. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, got a great DVD called Jesus in Genesis, uh, which helps uh, see 
yeah, or how, how much Jesus relied upon the historical accuracy and recency of Genesis of creation. Uh, so if we sort of want to in, inject some old earth, long ages process into that, we're saying Jesus got it wrong, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and not only that, Jesus said, well, I'll only tell you what my heavenly father has told me to tell you. So we're also saying heavenly father's got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> we really need to get this story right and stand on God's word and trust him for his opinion. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Jolly good. Well, no, no more questions. <laughs> if there are no questions, it's a sign that you explained everything very nicely. <laughs> I hope that's true. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Well, we're always open for questions. You can send an email to ministry at creation.com or creation.info, uh, ministry at creation.info. And um, we'll, we always take those. We pass them on to the best speaker or scientist to answer the question and you will get an answer. Uh, but more importantly, go to creation.com, get access to these resources. I know you're well versed in it, um, but take the opportunity to use that discount that we're offering you too. And uh, well, if that's the end of it, I might say goodbye and leave you good folk to chat amongst yourselves. Okay. Thank you very much. Is that okay? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much for your for your invitation and your time today. I really do appreciate it. May God bless you. Bless you too. God bless you, Mark. Thanks, Mark.